pray with me before we look to God's word? Heavenly Father, your word is perfect, and your people are not. So, Father, as we read your word and hear from it, I pray that you might teach all of us, each and every one of us, full obedience to your Holy Spirit, that you would make us humble before your presence, and that you would equip us for every good work so that we might be the glorious church you've called us to be here on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all love a good secret, don't we? There's nothing like being in on a good secret. I remember a few years ago when Mary and I made the 12-hour drive to Kentucky to surprise my mom on her birthday. And I remember how difficult it was uh, for me to keep our trip, our trip a secret. I'm not very good at keeping secrets. It was really hard to keep it a secret, especially during my phone conversation with my mom while we were traveling on the interstate to see her. As I tried to muster in my saddest voice that I possibly could how, how very sorry I was that we weren't there, which was true. It wasn't a lie, okay, because we weren't there, and I, I was sorry. But I tried to wish her happy birthday in the most solemn voice I could, and, and uh, all while trying not to laugh and while trying to keep the road noise in the background of 70 miles per hour uh, to a minimum. Well, when, we, when we finally made it to my parents' house, uh, we slipped into the kitchen and where my mom was fixing dinner, her own birthday dinner. Can you imagine that? It was just a sad day. And she was fixing salad. So, and so we, sn- we snuck, sneaked, snuck into the kitchen, and we just, we just sort of stood there quietly for a few seconds until she noticed. And when she finally did, her reaction was perfect. She screamed hysterically. She dropped the salad Salad dressing went everywhere, and she ran over and gave us a big hug and greeted us. It was the perfect payoff to a secret that was probably the most difficult one I've ever had to keep. And to this day, thankfully, she says that that birthday was the best birthday she's ever had. There's really nothing like being in on a good secret. And in our passage this morning, Paul lets us in on one of God's greatest secrets. Hidden for all eternity, but now finally revealed. Please turn with me, as Mr. Al mentioned, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. That's page 977 in the Black Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 1 through 13. And once you arrive there, notice how Paul begins verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, dash. There's no main verb. And Paul does not supply a main verb until he returns to this original thought in the same chapter, verse 14. 
with the exact same language. You see that? For this reason, he starts again, I bow my knees before the Father. So it appears that Paul was intending to pray for the Ephesians at the very beginning of our passage, but then stopped abruptly because he first wanted to inform them about one of God's greatest secrets, what he calls the mystery. Well, listen to God's word from Ephesians chapter 3 as Paul shares his own experience on being let in to God's mystery, starting with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And this is God's word. In this passage, Paul tells us first how he came to know the mystery and second, how God used him to proclaim the mystery to the Ephesians and then, of course, through the centuries to us even this morning. So let's allow those two points to guide our time in this passage this morning. First, we see how Paul came to know the mystery. Verses 1 through 6 show us that God revealed to Paul the gospel mystery. God revealed to Paul the gospel mystery. Paul begins by introducing himself in verse 1 as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians from prison. The Romans, he had been imprisoned by the Romans for being a disturber of the peace, as, as that's recorded in Acts. The Romans had witnessed one too many times the violent response that Paul's preaching always seemed to provoke among the Jewish people. But although Paul's imprisonment had been demanded by the Jews and carried out by the Romans, 
Paul ultimately considers himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus. The suffering he was enduring was all part of his glad service to the Savior he had once persecuted. But Paul wasn't suffering only for Christ. He tells us that he was suffering also on behalf of you Gentiles. You Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is simply another word for a non-Jew, just to get us all on the same page. A Gentile was one who was not originally part of God's people, Israel, under the Old Covenant. That's most of us, by the way, okay? So Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians with Gentile Christians like us primarily in mind. Look across the page at chapter 2, verse 11. Similar language here. Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. So Paul is directly addressing us Gentiles. And what does he urge us to remember? Verse 12, Remember that you were at that time, meaning under the old covenant, In the Old Testament, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul presents us with the sobering reality that we Gentiles were once totally hopeless and doomed. Not only had we made enemies with God, as if that weren't bad enough, we had also made enemies with God's beloved people, Israel. We were the ones who were occupying the land that they were trying to kick out back in the Old Testament. But what did God do for us? Look at verse 16. What did God do for us? Here's what he did. He reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. God united us Gentiles to himself and to his people in Christ, in the death of Christ, what John Stott has called double union. And by doing this, God created, verse 15 now, one up, by doing this, God created one new Man, the church, in place of the two, Jew and Gentile. So making peace. The gospel is twice good news because it unites us to God and it unites us to others, to those who were made in his image. The gospel creates peace wherever there is hostility. Isn't that what the church needs to hear today? The gospel brings peace. And nowhere should that peace be more evident than in the church of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel Paul preached. And this is the gospel that landed Paul in prison on behalf of us Gentiles. Okay? You see, Paul, you see, God had given Paul a very special job to do. Paul tells us in verse 2 
We're back in chapter 3 now. Paul tells us in verse 2 that God had made him a steward of his grace for the Gentiles. A steward of God's grace for the Gentiles. God had put Paul in charge of extending his salvation to those who were in utter darkness. The risen Christ had appeared to Paul on the Damascus road and said, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Why? So that you might open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Can you imagine the shock Paul must have felt upon hearing those words? After just having seen the risen Messiah, whom he had blasphemed and defied, and whose followers he had been hunting down and murdering, now Paul is being commanded to preach about this Messiah to the Gentiles, the sworn enemies of God, always had been. Well, the shock would have been unbearable for Paul had God not revealed to Paul his great secret. And we come across that great secret in verse 3. Paul says that the mystery was made known to him by revelation. That phrase, by revelation, helps us to understand that Paul is using the word mystery here in an unusual way. We have our own concept of mysteries today, a mystery novel. But Paul does not mean by mystery something unexplainable that must be figured out by us. He doesn't mean that. No, by mystery, Paul means something hidden that must be revealed to us by God. It's one of God's secrets. So what is the mystery? Well, Paul doesn't tell us immediately. Ironically, he's being a little bit mysterious about the mystery, isn't he? He's kind of egging this on. But he mentions at the very end of verse 3 that he has written about it briefly already in this very letter. Please look back at the first chapter of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul gives us a major clue as to what the mystery is about. He tells us that God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the mystery, whatever it is, has to do with God's plan to unite all creation under the rightful rule and authority of his son Christ. I'm going to repeat that because I'm going to repeat it several other times in this message. God's mystery is about, has to do with, God's plan to unite all creation under the rightful rule and authority of his son Christ. That is God's plan for the world, to restore all things to its rightful owner, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the big picture. 
of what the mystery is about. But it still needs a bit filling out, doesn't it? What exactly is this mystery? Paul mentions it again in verse 4. He says, when you read this, this letter, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this mystery centers on Christ. It is about Christ, just as Ephesians 1.9 told us. God made known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ. So when God sent Christ 2,000 years ago, he was unveiling the mystery he had hidden for ages. But God's mystery had not always been so clear. You think you're confused right now. (laughs) They were really confused in the past. Paul is quick to inform us in verse 5 that although this mystery was not made known to the sons of men, and other generations, that is, to the Old Testament saints and prophets, it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God had kept this mystery a secret. He had kept his secret secret for a very long time, but had finally revealed it to Paul, supremely, to Jesus' apostles, and to the prophets of the New Testament, those spokesmen and women, spokesmen and spokeswomen of God who were specially gifted to give the word of God to the church when they were lacking the complete scriptures. So God had finally told his great secret to these people by the Holy Spirit. Well, is the anticipation killing you? What is this mystery, Paul? Well, he's so kind to us. He doesn't want us to be in agony for too long. So he finally tells us in verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles, that's us, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery, folks, is that we Gentiles We outsiders now share equally with Jewish believers in all the blessings of God through faith in Christ. We are not second-class citizens. We are fellow heirs, fellow members. You see what God is doing? God has begun that plan we heard about in Ephesians 1. God has begun to unite all things under the rightful rule and authority of his son Christ. How? He's already begun by bringing all kinds of people together into one new multi-ethnic, multicultural, international, global body, the church. That's what we are. And Paul begins to tell us about all the privileges we Gentiles now share equally with Jewish believers. First, Paul tells us that we are fellow heirs of the same inheritance, joint heirs of Israel's glorious future, together forever. Second, Paul tells us that we are members of the same body. We share equally 
in Christ's death for us. We don't get seconds. We share equally. And third, we are partakers of the same promise. That is the covenant promise to Abraham. Look at the stars. Look at the world. It's yours. That's our promise. All the promises of God, all the blessings of God, all the comforts and pleasures of God that he has for centuries promised to his people have now been given to each and every one of us. Friends, there is no such thing as second-class citizenship in the church of Jesus Christ. No such thing. All of us get everything. There is no privileged elite. There is no underprivileged amateur. All are one in Christ. How did this come to be? Paul says that all these privileges have come to us in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, all these blessings are free of charge. They're free. They are the wonderful perks of getting Christ. They are the wonderful perks of trusting in Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, just as the gospel tells us. And this is the great gospel mystery that God revealed to Paul. But God's revelations are never meant to be kept a secret. They're always meant to be advertised, proclaimed, shared with others. And so that leads us to our second point. After God revealed to Paul the gospel mystery, he called Paul to the gospel ministry. He called Paul to the gospel ministry. Get the word out. Paul declares in verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. We saw in verse 2 that Paul understood himself to be a steward of the gospel. Now he refers to himself as a servant or a minister, same Greek word, of the gospel. Paul is literally the gospel's servant. He is bound to the gospel's authority. He is responsible for its proclamation. And he goes wherever its author leads him. What an important task God gave Paul for us. But you'd think that would make somebody arrogant. But Paul was far from arrogant. He is overwhelmed by the privilege that God would call him to the gospel ministry. He says that his ministry is God's gift to him. Isn't that interesting? Don't we often tend to think of our own ministries as our gifts to God? But Paul saw his ministry as God's gift to him. It was God who called him. God who enabled him. God who allowed him to serve. And I wish we all thought like Paul in that regard. Myself foremost. But how did Paul come to think this way? Is this just false humility? 
How did he come to have such a humble, low opinion of himself? Look at verse 8. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, of all Christians, this grace was given. That phrase, very least, that phrase, very least, is actually just one word in the Greek, and our English translations don't have a clue on what to do with it because Paul made it up. He does that from time to time. The word literally means the leaster or the less than least, which, of course, doesn't exist. You say, Paul, that doesn't exist. He says, yes, it does. You're looking at it. Paul had an extremely low opinion of himself. It wasn't false humility. It was an awareness that he had once been a persecutor of the Lord Jesus and his church. He remembered how utterly lost he once was. And I think that Paul would tell us, each one of us, that humility in the ministry only comes from understanding how little you deserve it. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. But he includes us for our own joy and blessing. What ministry has God called you to? Whatever it is, big or small, it's God's gift to you. It's his grace. It's something he's done for you. But as one pastor has said, with great grace comes great responsibility. So we see in verses 8 and 9 that God gave Paul the grace to do two important responsibilities. First, God called Paul to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a message. Paul was to be the deliverer of the greatest news in the world to those who least expected it. He got to see the look on their faces when they heard it for the first time. Paul was to tell the Gentiles that the God of heaven and earth was having a massive giveaway. And he wanted to bestow all his riches and endless blessing on them in Christ. This was Paul's evangelism. Is it ours? Paul wasn't promoting religion. Paul wasn't advertising the new church on the corner. Paul wasn't promoting the newest book. Paul was pleading with sinners to receive the unsearchable, endless riches of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as friend. He preached not Christianity, but Christ. That was the point of Paul's evangelism. And that was Paul's first responsibility. But God also gave Paul a second responsibility. As we see in verse 9, God called Paul to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul was to enlighten, to inform everyone of this grand new development 
in God's plan. He was to tell everyone that the creator had begun to unite all things to himself through the church. But along with Paul's two callings is a calling for us. It's not just Paul's responsibility. He hands it over to us in verse 10. He says, I'm doing all this so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Paul tells us that we have an enormous role to play in God's plan for the world. We are to put God's wisdom, his great success, we might call it, on display. The word Paul uses to describe God's wisdom is the word manifold, which means multicolored. Think of a beautiful bouquet of every kind of spring flower imaginable. Colors ranging from all over the spectrum, purples, pinks, deep greens and blues, reds, magentas, yellows. The more colors, the richer the bouquet. It's the contrast of the colors that makes it so beautiful, isn't it? And Paul tells us that's what the church is like. A beautiful bouquet of every kind of people reconciled to God, reconciled to each other, gathered into one body under the rightful rule and authority of Jesus Christ. It's the contrast that creates the beauty. It's the differences that highlight the wisdom of God in our life together. Some of us hunt, some of us read. I read, and I look at Nick's pictures from hunting. But guess what? We're one in Christ. Some of you are 14 years old, some of you are 100, no, not that old. How old are you, Earl? (laughs) It's the differences that create the beauty. And we are to display this beauty to whom? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We are to display God's wisdom to all the angels of heaven. The Apostle Peter tells us in his letter that the angels even now are bending down, stooping down, gazing in amazement at what God has done through the church. They're amazed. They can hardly believe it. And I'm one to think that that phrase heavenly places also referred to in chapter 6 against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, I'm prone to think that these angels are not just the nice ones. I think they're the naughty ones as well. I think they look at the church in terror. Oh my goodness, we are doomed. 
God has done what he said he was going to do. And now look at them. One's hunting and one's reading. And they're together in Christ. Amazing. And as we see in verse 11, this has been God's plan all along. Paul tells us that the church was according to God's eternal purpose. It wasn't a plan B. It wasn't a parenthesis, as some Christians think today. It's just simply unbiblical. It was God's eternal plan. God's plan centered on Christ. God's plan was accomplished by Christ. God's plan was revealed by Christ. And now God's plan has culminated through the church who find themselves in Christ. We are the most privileged people in the universe. Every single one of us from every economic background and current standing, we are the richest, most privileged people in the universe, especially when we are together right now. How can you sleep? (laughs) Not right now. I mean, sleep in. Don't sleep right now. This is amazing. Look at what God has given us. Verse 12. Look at the result of this mystery revealed to us, this gospel proclaimed to us. Verse 12. In Christ, in whom? In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Whereas one commentator has said, we have boldness to enter confidently into God's presence. Paul says through our faith in him, I think that's right and well and good. I prefer another translation of this particular text through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He's the one who brought us in to the presence of God. Paul is saying that we Gentiles now have unrestricted access into God's presence all because of the blood of Jesus. This is unthinkable that Gentiles would have unrestricted access, equal access to God as Israel had in the Old Testament. You know, there was a separate court for Gentiles in the temple. They crossed the line. They're dead. But the curtain was torn And God has put an end quite decisively to his covenant with Israel and now has given us a new covenant with a new people, but old good promises in Christ. That's what God has done for us. And with this in mind, I close and Paul closes our passage in verse 13. He says, Remember his suffering, his imprisonment in verse 1? It comes back to full term. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't worry about me, Paul says. I love my job. I love it. How you feeling, Paul? Never better. Every whipping is worth it. Paul has even said elsewhere in Colossians 1, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking 
in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, that is us. Even in prison, even while suffering, Paul was aware that God had included him in his great plan. God had revealed to him the gospel mystery. God had called him to the gospel ministry. But even more than that, God had saved him and was using him to save others. A wonderful grace and gift. Brothers and sisters, like Paul, we have an enormous role to play in God's plan for the world. We are to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ to the world. We are to display the manifold, multicolored wisdom and success of God to the angels. Naughty and nice. What a privilege to now be a part of God's people something we don't think a lot about in the 21st century as much as they did in the first century. It's like when I forget how blessed I am to have a wonderful wife. I knew it on my wedding day, but you forget. And this passage shows us what a privilege we have to have unrestricted access to God in Christ. What an amazing thing to be to be in and of ourselves God's secret, hidden for ages, but now revealed. God wants us to put His glory on display. Listen, we can only do that by embracing everyone in our midst as brothers and sisters. Let Crosspoint be known as the church that loves their members like family. Let that be our reputation. Aren't you thankful for what Christ has done? He has reconciled us to God. He has reconciled us to each other. And now he calls us to be his ambassadors and to bring one message to the whole of creation. Be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the grace that you have given us in Christ. Not only have you saved us, reconciled us to yourself, forgiven us all our sins, given us bright hope and a future, covered us in promises, all of which you plan to keep to the T. But you also call us, you privilege us with the blessing of being part of what you're doing in the world. In fact, we are the instrument of what you're doing in the world, and we give you so much thanks and praise. We are humbled, and we ask that your spirit might strengthen us to preach your gospel to the world and to display to them and to all the world the unity you have given us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You stand as we sing.